Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week, I write an energy-themed column that is published in many, many places uh, throughout the Internet and in newspapers, particularly in the oil patch. Each week, it seems that I have a choice between two, three, four topics. This week, I had a specific topic I was all ready to write on, and it was a based on a report of the economic impact of closing the pipeline off of Santa Barbara. When I reached out to the report's author, he said, the final report is not ready yet. The newspaper article that you read was just a preliminary review. Would you please hold off on this? And so I was like, oh, what am I going to write on this week? People send me a lot of stuff, and someone sent me something about the effort to extend the production tax credit for wind energy. Someone sent me something else about Solar City being investigated. And then, of course, the Senate passed uh, the resolution of disapproval for President Obama's clean power plan. So there were so many things that I could have written on this week. But my first guest alerted me to a piece that is what captured my heart, my passion, and my attention. And it was an article in a kind of an industry subscription-only publication, E&E &E News, that talked about my first guest and, and, and almost kind of mentioned him as if he was like the evil one, because in this report in E&E &E News, which is titled, An Autopsy of Evangelicals' Influence on U.S. Climate Law. And this is just a short report in E&E &E News, but it's actually referencing a 27-page report put out by New America, and uh, they're a think tank that aims to reform politics. And they say that that really the the, per, the person who killed the um, attempt by climate funders, evangelical funders, to infiltrate, now they don't use those words, those are my words, to infiltrate the evangelical church, the person who blocks that is our first guest. In this E&E &E News report, it says, at the same time, a potent counter-movement was growing. In 2006, Calvin Beisner founded the Cornwall Alliance, a group that rejects climate change and creation care. It argues that humans should manage the earth for mankind's benefit rather than avoid affecting it. So, Cal, you're, you've, uh, you know, I'm, I have so much more respect for, for you than I did before. Now, I've known you for many years, and I do have a huge amount of respect for you. But the fact that you have single-handedly, according to this report, blocked their efforts to infiltrate the evangelical church, God bless you. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It has been, uh, it's been a long story. Uh, for me, it goes back... Uh, literally to my toddlerhood, in that uh, when I was a toddler, my family moved to Calcutta, India for a year when my father served with the State Department, and 
as uh, as so often happens in extremely poor places like that, uh, disease struck. Uh, my mother contracted a virus that attacked her spinal cord and literally paralyzed her. And uh, so as a consequence, I was uh, farmed out every day from early in the morning to uh, mid-evening to an Indian family. And my nurse, or Aya, as she was called in the Hindi language, my nurse would take me by the hand early in the morning, and we would, we would walk blocks to the home where I stayed for the day. And in that walk, we would step over the bodies of hundreds of people who had died overnight of disease and starvation. And those, those pictures are probably the earliest picture memories I have out of childhood. And they tell me of the problems of poverty. And so as I uh, later became a Christian and then began to focus on the Bible's teaching about poverty and our responsibility toward the poor, and then began to see how so many different environmental uh, groups really favor environmental policies that that slow, stop, or even reverse economic development, trapping people in poverty. Uh, that was that was the origination of my concern about these things. And so, through the '90s and the uh, 2000s, the, uh, the 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 aughts, um, I did a whole lot of study on this, and I simply recognized that, particularly on climate change. Um, what the Greens wanted us to do was to adopt policies that would trap people in poverty by depriving them of access to abundant, affordable, reliable energy, without which no society ever has grown out of poverty or can stay out of it. Yeah, and so you you kind of um, are the leader, I would say, uh, in, in this school of thought. Well, I'm not sure that I would claim that title for myself. I would say... Well, more you are a humble man. I appreciate that. Well, I, I, I sort of coordinate with the ministry that I lead called... Well, lead. <laughs> I call the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. We're a, we're a network of about 60 scholars sprinkled around North America, all of them evangelical Christians. Um, roughly a third of them are natural scientists, including climate scientists, uh, including even some of the world's top climate scientists. Plus a third are economists specializing in environmental or developmental economics, and then a third are theologians, pastors, uh, philosophers, uh, philosophers, ethicists, uh, and so we try to integrate the different insights of those different disciplines to come up with a, a well-balanced approach to issues like this, and, and my work really is is to draw out the insights of these various different scholars and try to uh, try to integrate them, try to uh, coordinate how we're able to present those insights to the public. And so how did you find out about this particular report? Well, let's see. Um, someone, and I, at the moment I've forgotten who, but someone... Did they, did they interview you for this report, or did they take your the comments? Because, well, I mean, you really, you really are the, the single uh, evangelical voice featured yeah. prominently in this report. Right. 
Right. Stephen Tellez, one of the co-authors of the report, did interview me. Uh, he didn't tell me that it would be for this specific report. He simply said that he was working on a scholarly paper related to the issue. He is an academic himself, and so I figured, okay, he's doing something academic, which is fine. Uh, and I have no problem at all with the fact that he used the interview in this report. I think that's perfectly fine. But I didn't know about the report itself until, um, until a day or so after it had come out, and someone simply sent me uh, the news article about it that ran in E&E News's Climate Wire. Um, and now, the, let, me, let me interrupt for a second here. To your knowledge, has this gotten any other press coverage other than this one E&E News report and then what I've done with it? Uh, not much. Um, I've Googled for it several different times, not in the last, oh, five or six days, I guess. I've been pretty busy. But um, not. I haven't seen a lot of news coverage. E&E News uh, is kind of the the flagship of environment and energy news coverage uh, for specialists. But apparently the mainstream media has largely ignored this. Well, you know, again, I'm a little slightly off topic here, but... Uh, on Fox Business on Tuesday morning this week, they announced that the EPA has given a $30,000 grant to a, a non-evangelical uh, church um, in Tampa, Florida, I believe it was, for climate work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really fascinating. Where's the ACLU when... <laughs> when you need them. What yeah. is this about government uh, not supposedly funding religious activities? But, of course, it's all a question of, of whose agenda is getting promoted. The EPA has been doing this for quite a long time, uh, stretching back uh, roughly a decade in its environmental justice and climate justice uh, moves. It's been uh, using those to build partnerships with churches of all sorts and, and synagogues as well. Um, and the... Uh, the question of whether we are crossing the typical liberal understanding of that uh, boundary between church and state is one that they don't seem to ask very much. Yeah, I was just shocked when I saw that news story come across the screen, uh, considering what I was focusing on this week. So, Cal, we've just got about three minutes left, and I don't want to run out of time. I, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to address this topic um, as, as you want to. Well, you know, I think the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else in this 27-page report is the fact that what, is, what the authors are focusing on really is power. Very early on in the, in the report, they say, we argue that the Evangelical Climate Initiative failed because the creation care movement lacked mobilized power a base of organized supporters with intense policy demands willing to engage in sustained conflict. Instead, the ECI had only built convening power, the ability to leverage evangelical identity and networks to bring leaders together around creation care principles. Now, you notice the focus there. It's all on power. Well, you know, yes. what we did, what I did, what the Cornwall Alliance did, had nothing to do with power. We didn't go for great big names. We didn't go for college presidents or mission leaders or something. We went for academics with proper uh, expertise in the properly related fields. And then uh, we didn't do what the ECI did. The Evangelical Climate Initiative basically said, here are our conclusions. 
trust us. Instead, we developed a, uh, at first, 25-page document called Truth, Prudence, and Protection of the Poor that set forth the evidence and the inferences and said, okay, on the basis of all this evidence and all of these inferences, here's where we wind up. What do you think? Would you join us in this thinking? And so we had our focus not on power but on truth. And I think there's a fundamental disconnect between the left-wing uh, political operatives in the foundations and, and in the EPA and so on who pushed this evangelical creation care movement and truly evangelical values. Truly evangelical values put the top emphasis on truth and not on power. And I think the last point would be this. The, the very title of the study expresses this complete lack of understanding of evangelicals on the part of the authors. The title is Spreading the Gospel of Climate Change, an Evangelical Battleground. You know, evangelicals consider to be, you know, the gospel to be our most treasured possession. Right, right. The gospel right. is not about climate change. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. And when you start and, and even that title the gospel is to something else, yeah, that's right. That title is offensive, and that's part of why evangelicals were suspicious of the creation care movement in the first place, because it connected gospel uh, to these things that are simply not gospel. Whether they're good or not, doesn't matter. They're not gospel. And that raised eyebrows. Yeah. We're basically out of time. I have one quick question for you before we, we uh, end this segment, and that is in this report, the 27-page report that you've mentioned, the gospel of climate change, um, they mentioned that Rick Warren signed on. They talk about Pat Robertson being in, in an ad on climate yes. change, but that Pat Robertson later denounced that. Has Rick Warren ever come out and kind of said I was wrong in that? Uh, not, not clearly, not, not explicitly, but I think the fact that he has refused to do anything further to support that movement, uh, and the fact that he has made a few comments here and there that indicate that he thinks there are much higher priorities, such as overcoming poverty in places like sub-Saharan Africa, indicates that he recognizes that, that he was led down a primrose path there. Uh, yeah. We certainly sent good information to him. I know from some people close to him that he would have actually seen that. I think probably he was persuaded, but he also just didn't want to make a big public fuss about it. Yeah. I'm way over time. I'm going to be in big trouble with my producer, uh, Calvin Beisner spokesperson, national spokesperson and founder of the Cornwall Alliance. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Thank you, Marita. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org 
or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. You know, when I discovered this report put out by New America that we talk, were talking about this week and that we talked about with Dr. Calvin Beisner in the last segment, uh, I was unaware of the organized effort by uh, the environmental community to engage evangelicals in their environmental messaging. But we've got a great slate of guests today to talk about this with us. And first today, or second actually, because we've already talked with Calvin Beisner, we're going to talk with Charles Clough. And Charles has been a meteorologist with the Air Force, but has also been very involved in this particular topic as an evangelical Christian as well. And so he's got some interesting insights uh, to, to share with us. And one of the things in our preparation for this segment is he sent me a paper uh, that he presented in March of this year in Washington, D.C. And, Charles, I'll let you tell us about that. But in, in, by way of introduction, I want to uh, quote from your closing comments about this. In your paper that you sent me, you say, apparently, A-A-A-S-D-O-S-E-R, which will let you tell us what those initials stand for, views reconciliation with evangelicals as essential to public support of their view of science, which at least testifies to the resiliency of evangelical social political resistance so far so so charles you brought this up back in march i was totally unaware of it at the time how did you first get engaged in this topic well uh dr beisner had uh wanted some folks to go and observe what was going on here in washington at this conference and uh so he asked the state climatologists from delaware and myself from maryland to uh, drive down to Washington, D.C. for that afternoon and, uh, and just stay in the conference and listen to what was going on. And it's significant because this is a conference put on annually, apparently, by the American Association for the Advancement of Science uh, and a particular subgroup within the AAAF, and that's called a Dialogue on Science, Ethics, and Religion. So they, they refer to it as Dosher. Um, they have a website and so forth. And so when I went there, uh, the topic was supposed to be religion and science. But after the first 30 minutes, it was very obvious that it was not religion in general. It was one particular segment of religion, the evangelical community. And the science wasn't science 
in the totality, the science particulars they were zeroing in was on climate change. So I thought to myself, oh, isn't this interesting? Here we have the American Association of the Advancement of Science concerned about the evangelicals. And uh, I guess it was about 45 minutes into the presentation, uh, I, as I was sitting there, I was wondering where this is going to go. Um, and sure enough, they spilled the beans when they said, evangelicals constitute almost 30% of the voting in this country. <laughs> and then the, the second thing they commented on was what you saw in that report, and that is we evangelicals don't have a centralized bureaucracy. So that frustrates them. And so they went ahead and uh, divulged that they had received several million dollars from the Templeton Foundation to establish science training courses for pastors in ten seminaries. Um, wow. So wait, wait a sec. So this was this funding for from Templeton. You discovered this when you were attending this meeting, March thirteenth, twenty fifteen, in Washington D.C. Is that correct? That's correct. Because that money was not mentioned. That was not. Uh, address specifically in the 27-page report that I read that got me really engaged in this topic. Yes. Well, they, they uh, on their website for a while after that, Washington, uh, that March meeting, they listed the seminaries, and I can just say, thankfully, their discernment about what constitutes evangelicals wasn't too accurate. Um, these people really do not know much about us. They just know that we're a resistance that has to be overcome. And they had one bona fide evangelical seminary, but the rest of them were, were uh, some was Greek Orthodox and others were uh, what we would call the more liberal seminaries. So thankfully, they had only targeted one of our seminaries. Uh, but their, their whole point was that we evangelicals somehow... Um, are restraining public enthusiasm for this climate change agenda. And uh, so I thought it was very significant to report that, that here they are uh, inviting to this particular conference people that are for the climate change being due to man, and they refuse to identify or invite to the conference, uh, for example, Dr. Beisner and Cornwall Alliance, all of the opposition was not invited. So it was a totally one-sided presentation. Well, I have to, I'm looking at your report. Is your report available any on, anywhere online so that our listeners can read this? Well, uh, uh, Dr. Beisner had uh, published it in uh, Christian Post, but I, I, it isn't online. No, it isn't. Uh, um, I guess anybody can... Uh, get it if they can get a, a, a you know if they want to send it to me i can send it to anybody who needs it well why don't we just say if you're a listener and you're interested in this in uh charles clough's report here from attending this meeting email me uh and i think my my listeners should know my email address marita at responsible dot org or more easily you can go to my website energy makes america great dot org and there's a contact button and just tell me you'd like this and we'll we'll make that connection because charlie one of the things that i'm i'm noticing is who were the environmental stewardship discussion leaders and i see that one of them is katherine hayhoe and i have a particular interest uh in her and i think you'll find this interesting 
context in that while my organization is based in Albuquerque, and we are based in Albuquerque, my office is there, my assistant is there, and my P.O. box is there, but uh, a year ago I moved to Lubbock, Texas. And most interestingly is that guess who I bought my house from? Oh, my. <laughs> how, how interesting, yes. Serious as a heart attack. I did not realize who she was. Um, you know, when we bought the house or anything, and uh, since then, as we got some of their mail and put two and two together, I was shocked to realize that, um, you know, the desk that I'm sitting at right this moment may be the very same desk that uh, Catherine Hayhoe sat at because it's a built-in desk in an office in this house. So I have a, when I see Catherine Hayhoe's name on this paper, um, you know, it, it it is of particular interest to me. Well, uh, going on with uh, Lubbock, um, I got my master's in atmospheric science from Texas Tech University and studied in the atmospheric science department many years ago. So when I attended the conference, I went up to Dr. Hayhoe and was asking her about some of the professors that I had gotten my master's thesis under. And, of course, some of them are retired and so on. Uh -huh. Discovered she is not part of the atmospheric science group. She's part of another group. And I thought that's kind of interesting because she's more on the environmental side. And yeah, because she touts herself as, you know, this, this great expert on climate change. Yeah. But, but, but when I asked her face-to-face -face about the department, the atmospheric science department, she's actually not part of that. Her, her faculty position is in, a, in another segment of, of Texas Tech. Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to keep you over if you're available for a second segment because uh, I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here. But um, uh, the newspaper in Lubbock, the Avalanche Journal, did a feature on Catherine Hayhoe and her husband, who is a pastor, Andrew Farley. And the local paper did a feature on something that uh, the two of them had been on the 700 Club, uh, Pat Robertson, CBN Network, in an attempt to, uh, you know, engage evangelicals in this topic. And so I wrote a letter to the editor into the paper following up on this. And uh, my concluding line um, in my letter to the editor that I wrote is that the only thing that evangelical Christians and climate alarmists have in common is that we both believe in something that can't be proven. And the paper did publish that. So anyway, I realize I'm on a little bit of a Catherine Hayhoe tangent. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the way they present themselves to evangelicals is, is very subtle. What they do is they list genuine environmental issues, like in this conference it was garbage in the Pacific, plastics that are affecting the uh, population, uh, the smoke from the industrial pollution in China, that sort of thing. And then plopped into the middle of that collection of, of what we would say recognize as evangelical as, by as, as evangelicals genuine environmental problems then they drop right into the middle of it climate change mm -hmm. that's how they they deceive people it's not really intellectually honest what they're doing here they're sneaking climate change into other genuine environmental concerns 
Because, as you said, those are, of course, genuine environmental concerns for, for everyone, regardless of your faith position. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I see also they have Mitch, Mitchell Hescock, who's the president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network, was there. Uh, communication with him? Uh, yes, and, and the interesting thing with him is uh, he did the same thing that Hayhoe did and uh, Dorothy Borst did, and that was talk endlessly about evangelicals should be concerned with the creation. And, of course, everybody agrees with that. Right. Flipped into that discussion, all of a sudden climate change is introduced without any discussion. In other words, we're not we're not doing any critical thinking about climate change. They just take it, and what what they are missing is look. It's, climate change is an observation. Now you have to deal with the cause, and the debate isn't between us evangelicals denying that climate changes. Everybody accepts that question isn't that at all the question is what is the primary cause of it and they don't they don't distinguish this and they deceive people yeah well I, i'm finding this so fascinating i've gotten this kind of a little off topic uh do you have time to stay for another segment with me yes all right well we're going to take a break because that's what we need to do and uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes with more with uh charles clough stay tuned on america's voice for energy this is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law Case, the Obama Eligibility Cases, the NDAA Illegal Detention Issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I've asked Charles Clough to stay over with us uh, uh, for this segment because I got him off topic. Uh, but uh, personally, I found it was fascinating. I hope it was of interest to you as well. Charles, can you give us, uh, I didn't give you a very good introduction. Can you give us uh, a bit about your background? Yes, uh, I worked with the Air Force as a, basically an ordinary weather officer for both active and reserve time. 
Uh, but the most interesting part was when, after I got my graduate degree in atmospheric science from Texas Tech, uh, I got a job with the Army and worked uh, with trying to figure out ways the weather affects weapon systems for the Army, particularly when they test them. And uh, as a result of a lot of that, um, I was involved in working the development of certain weather prediction models. And to do that, uh, I got very, um, very much acquainted with the uh, National Center for Atmospheric Research out in Boulder, Colorado, which is one of the federal laboratories where a lot of the climate change research is being done. I did not personally get involved with climate change at the time. I was involved with another part of the laboratory. But it did give me a perspective on the fact that money, vast amounts of money, are transferred into these federal laboratories. The federal laboratories are utterly dependent on competing at the congressional level for funding. And that's when I became aware of Eisenhower's warning back in 1961 of the military-industrial complex speech that he gave. People don't read further in that same speech and discover that Eisenhower back then also warned about the effect of federal funding on the direction of scientific research. Uh, scientific research requires big bucks, and the only source of the big bucks is the federal government. And if you're not careful, you can develop kind of an incestuous relationship going on here where the, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a laboratory and I need money, I have to come to Congress and compete with other people. And the way I can compete is I say that I've got a big, big problem and you've got to fund me uh, and I can solve the problem. And so that's one way. And then the Congress, they're always hopeful that they're going to fund something. They want to get something out of it. So very easily you can have scientific research channeled into politically desirable ends. And that was the thing Eisenhower warned about, and I think that's very much the center of a lot of this climate change issue. It's fascinating uh, to hear your involvement. So you're, you know, you're clearly coming at this uh, from the scientific side, from your background, but you are a, a Christian as well. Yes. Oh, yes. And that... I'm interested in science because I am a Christian. Science grew up in the Christian civilization. It didn't grow up anywhere else. Um, so we, we go, we, we believe as evangelicals uh, that God has verbally revealed himself information from his mind to ours in the Bible, and we ought to take that seriously. And we do want to take care of the creation. But the creation has been designed. It's It's stable. This this complete freaking out about the dangers of carbon dioxide. For heaven's sake, carbon dioxide is plant food. It's not a pollutant. And we know historically that climate was very warm between 900 and 1400 A.D. That was the medieval warm period. And as historians point out, that was a time when civilization flourished. It wasn't a disaster because in the warm warm times, the growing season for food is longer. People don't die of starvation like they do in cold periods. Yes, in my column this week, I just I put one little tiny half a sentence about that, that the carbon that was stored under the earth, you're, you know, back, back when God created the earth, is now being released to provide power 
and food, and uh, that and food part, what you're just talking about is what I was referencing, though it's just one little, it's not even half a sentence, it's just one tiny phrase, but that's what I was addressing in there, kind of hopefully to plant that seed, pun intended, uh, kind of subliminally in there. Yeah, well, and, and, and ethically, as evangelicals, we, you know, evangelical community has basically contributed millions of dollars to the betterment of the third world peoples. And what we've got now going is this attack on fossil fuels is that if you destroy readily available energy sources like fossil fuel, and there aren't any other sources yet that cheap, that widespread, that easily available, you are simply hurting these people out in the undeveloped world. It's exactly opposite to what you hear the climate alarmists saying, that we've got to save the world. You're not saving the world. You're actually ruining the world by keeping people in poverty. Yes, there's a piece, I believe it was in the Financial Times. Let me just look at my notes here real quickly. Maybe it was the Wall Street Journal. Uh, in the Financial Times, November 8th, and it was written by, I believe, a member of par British Parliament. I don't have that in my notes. But it's uh, access to fossil fuels can lead to better health. And uh, that's exactly uh, what, that, what that was talking about. Yeah, in fact, uh, I've seen statistics where in the U.K., where they've shut down coal-fired power plants, uh, the number, the several thousand, if not 10,000 more people have died last winter from energy poverty. If you have to choose between food and fuel, and the fuel is expensive now because the coal plants, uh, the low-cost coal plants have, have been shut down, you've got to make a choice. And these poor folks, they, they want to eat, so they devote their meager budget to food, and they don't have any left to pay for the highly expensive energy sources. That's an ethical problem. You know, so obviously you've um, you spent a lot of time looking at this issue. Um, where, where is it coming from? Where, since what, what you brought up is that the end result of these climate campaigns are the exact opposite of what even the Pope uh, is, is claiming what what where do you see this is coming from what's their real real mission i think uh if you look at the some of the europeans for example dr holm dr holm is the uh, professor of climate change at east anglia university in uk that was where the climate gate scandal uh, appeared and uh, he's a fellow that's uh, inspired a lot of men to get their doctorates in climate change and uh, he openly admitted in his book, I forgot the title of it now, that this is not really about climate change at all. It's how we can use the issue of climate change to further our social goals. So the Europeans are a lot more uh, open about it. Americans tend to be very naive. They think it's all about climate change. Europeans know it's, it's more than that. This is a, this is a wonderful tool for the, uh, the extreme wing of the, uh, the environmental lobby to control. It's about control. Government always does this. I mean, it, the bureaucracies never contract. They always expand. And the United Nations is a good example of this. I mean, can you think of a better situation other than, say, an outbreak of Ebola or something that would attract global 
concern that would then result in the increase of a bureaucracy globally. So I believe that there's a powerful political and economic incentive to push this agenda. So back to kind of our original topic, which you addressed in your report that I, I read in the beginning. What's the evangelicals' role in this? Why are we the ripe targets? Why, are, why are, do they look to pick us off? I think there's two concerns. They, our pulpits, the ministries of different evangelical pastors, are highly influential. And how these pulpits have not pushed the climate change thing. And the result is the congregations feel there's no urgency to climate change. We haven't heard any alarmism from our pulpits. And so the, the whole evangelical community tends to not go along with it simply because they're the people they listen most to and have the most respect for, which are their pastors, um, aren't concerned, don't show this concern. So that's one factor. And the other problem that just simply vexes uh, folks like this group that I gave the report on is we don't have a centralized bureaucracy that can be captured and maneuvered. We're, we're all limited over here to different church groups and subgroups and independent churches. It's very hard to take us over because we're decentralized. So, you know, and, and do you see that that's what they've done with the Pope? Oh, yes. If, in fact, Dr. Beisner pointed out that in the, uh, in the Pope encyclical, uh, the section on climate change was really very small, and it was the only section, I think, that didn't have footnotes. So uh, it, it shows you that it, it was put in there by some groups in the Vatican um, without much discussion and without much really thought. So um, it's very easy to mislead uh, a centralized bureaucracy, and they know that. And that's what troubles them about evangelicals, because we're decentralized. So, you know, and I, I see that along with this climate change, the whole, the whole messaging of climate change brings with it an entirely different worldview that conflicts with the evangelical belief in the Bible. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, that deeper, at a deeper level, the, the radical environmentalism is really a form of ancient pagan pantheism where we worship nature. And man, man is a, is, could, has become an enemy of Mother Nature. So we've got to respect Mother Nature. It's, it's a, there's a profound anti-biblical theology informing it. I'm not saying these people are all conscious of it, but if you read carefully their, their, their priorities, the idea, for example, you must limit human population, uh, and the idea, this goes back to Thomas Malthus, for heaven's sake, that we we're going to run out of natural resources because they, they, the population's growing faster than the natural resource. That's not true. And uh, the way I usually explain it is every mouth comes equipped with a brain. And that means that God has imbued humanity with the ability to invent, to create new technologies, and, and we move on. There's plenty of natural resources. We just haven't learned how to use them yet. 
Yeah. Fascinating. Next week I'm, I'm addressing a, one of these new technologies uh, that's expanding natural resources and water recycling uh, from oil and gas development. But that's a whole other topic for next week. There's a tease. Charles Clough, thank you so much for joining us with this insight today. We're out of time. It's been a fascinating uh, discussion. And uh, perfectly into our next segment and talking about the paganism. So I hope you'll stay with us, everyone, on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, it's fascinating. I, we, uh, I appreciate that you were able to stay over with me. Okay, Marina. Thank you. All righty. Thanks much. Ta-ta. Bye. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our final segment of America's Voice for Energy. Today we've been talking specifically about the green or environmental movement, also known as the anti-fossil fuel movement, and their effort to infiltrate the church. In our last segment, as we were talking with Charles Clough, he mentioned uh, something about that this is this is kind of a paganism this this worshiping the earth and so in our next segment i'm pleased to have with us dr peter jones he's the executive director of truth exchange and we'll ask him to tell us a little more about that in just a moment and he is a professor former professor of new testament at westminster in california and an expert on revived Paganism. So you can be sure we're going to have an interesting few minutes together. Dr. Jones, thank you for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Well, I'm happy to talk with you. Tell us a little bit about what Truth Exchange is to start off. Well, it was born by my looking at the state of America and trying to come up with categories to make sense. As an evangelical Christian, I was going around the country speaking and people were saying, 
things are awful, and I realized you can't fight awful. So I tried to come up with categories by which to describe the situation in this radical change in the heart of America. From when I first met it in 1964 when I came over as a student, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was so Christian. Uh, when I came back in 91, I'd been in France teaching for many years. The religion had totally changed, and I was looking at something very different. So I came up with these two words to describe the situation where before we face two possibilities, and they really are found in Scripture. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans 125, we either worship creation or we worship the creator. And I gave those two options the following names, either oneism or twoism. If you can come from one to two, you can be a theologian. Oneism means everything is one, everything is the same, and that there's nothing outside of us that's different than we are. Twoism is that there is a God outside of us who is radically different than we are since he's the creator and we're creatures. And those two ways of looking at life are in a head-on collision right now in so-called Christian America. And how do you, that's very interesting, how do you see that those two uh, different views are in a collision in, the, in, in Christianity in America? Well, in America in general, and of course in Christianity you have a subset of that conflict among uh, progressive liberal Christians and uh, Bible-believing Orthodox Christians, and they hold these two very different views. It's, it's hidden because there's a lot of Christian language that is uh, heaped on them, but when you get down to it, there is a denial of God the Creator in liberalism and an affirmation of the freedom of the human being to define our reality as the way we wish it to be. So all these movements that we see uh, are expressions of that deep choice between oneism or twoism. You see it in gender, and you see it in the environmental movement as well. Yes, and obviously the environmental movement is uh, kind of my focus today. And uh, as you know, I wrote my column this week on uh, the environmental movement, in my opinion, uh, kind of infiltrating the church and having really an organized plan um, to, to do so. And how do you see that happening? Well, I see the environmental movement, first of all, as a good thing in as much as God wants people to be concerned about the environment and to be good stewards. Certainly. But what, what is happening is that that whole agenda has been overtaken by two fundamental expressions of oneism, namely on the political level, sort of um, socialism tending towards totalitarianism, or on the other hand, on a religious level, uh, paganism, the worship of the earth. And those two forces, oddly enough, well, maybe it isn't odd, they're coming together. Uh, because it's interesting, the Parliament of the World's Religions, which I attended in 1993, also met this year in 2015 in Salt Lake City. And, of course, the Parliament of the World Religions is all the religions of the world coming together. And guess what? They worship the goddess. They worship the earth. And that's what they keep saying, and that's what they kept saying during those days in uh, Salt Lake City, that we are uh, under the uh, 
worship of the divine goddess, and she is fierce, and if you mess with her, she will take care of you and uh, punish you. So that view of the divine as the goddess is really a way of speaking about the earth as being divine. Now, what is interesting, one of the uh, people who spoke at that event said that uh, we have a collective devotion to the earth and that we are moving past the age of the individual into the collective. The collective, you see, is important both at the level of politics in socialism and at the level of pagan religion, that you have to bring everything together as one. Now, in politics, of course, socialism believes that the collective understands everything. And uh, in order for there to be a collective, you, the, the people who claim to know the voice of the collective, the elite, have to gain power. And I feel that much of what is going on in the green movement is a grab for power. There's no real convincing evidence, as far as I can see, that, that the earth is growing warmer in a, in a dangerous way at all. But this is a wonderful way of claiming power by saying that the uh, science is settled and that we have to spend trillions of dollars now to solve it. This is a power grab. That's on the political side. But on the, on the religious side, I have attended meetings uh, with religious pagans, some of whom uh, were part of the writing of the Earth Charter, Charter, which is a U.N. document on ecology. And I heard them, actually with my own eyes, uh, state that they managed to get into the preamble of the Earth Charter, which is a U.N. document about the future of the Earth and its ecological health, that they got into that pagan notions of the Earth as essentially divine. Here's what they put in. Humanity is part of a vast, evolving universe. Earth, our home, is alive with a unique community of life. That's in the Charter, the Earth Charter, and I heard the people who wrote that say that this was their attempt to get pagan religion into that document. And they acknowledge that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Actually, it was a conference of 400 religious pagans, and uh, one of the people that was there was um, a, a, a member of the drafting committee of uh, the Earth Charter, and uh, she gave the, um, the that lecture that I heard. Hmm. Now, um, I'm not familiar with the Earth Charter. Is that before the um, you know global warming stuff came out it from, actually, through the UN? It, it was at, at that point. Uh, it it was actually commandeered by Michael Gorbachev. Uh, and it was written and finished in 2000. And that has become the document on which everything is based. Since then, global warming has become the cutting edge to where we want to take the Earth in terms of ecology. So that has been slipped in as now the way of gaining control and power over the Earth. But that Earth Charter is a major document, and it's awaiting being accepted by the General Assembly as a legal document, and they're just waiting for the right time in order to vote on it. So 
everything fits together, actually, and uh, we must be aware that that's what's happening. This is both the joining of socialism and paganism into a massive force that wants to take over the earth. Uh, scary, scary stuff. How do you see this uh, being played out in the evangelical community? Are, are evangelicals resistant to this, or they, or, or are the um, this effort so sly that they phrase things carefully? Um, you know, I was pretty I, shocked I think, myself. Yeah. I was pretty shocked to see that Rick Warren had signed the Evangelical Climate Initiative. Right. I think there's a lot of naivete in the evangelical movement. I think there's a desire to want to keep up with what's happening, and uh, sometimes it's cruel. Actually, what is disturbing really was at this Parliament of the World Religions in, uh, in Salt Lake City last month, uh, which brought together 10,000 pagan people from all religions two of the speakers were so-called evangelicals namely brian mclaren and um uh jim head of uh sojourners What's oh okay i'm fr i'm familiar with sojourners i haven't followed it closely in recent years but i know that know the organization name anyway they were speakers at this conference and that's amazing because i attended the one in 1993 there wasn't any sign of an evangelical voice anywhere. And now we have moved along and those so-called evangelicals have been seduced into taking part in this massive one world religion movement uh, as it's known as the parliament of the world's religions. So do you do you think maybe they thought they could influence the dialogue toward the evangelical side or do you from listening uh, to them do you feel like that they had bought in? Unfortunately, the kind of speech that they use shows that they have actually bought into the dialogue of the Parliament of the World's Religions, rather than the other way, uh, rather than the other way around. Um, uh, Brian McLaren, I have a note here, says the Earth is groaning. What is the Earth saying? The people of faith need to tell a new story, and he's joining with them in this new story. And uh, I'm afraid he's going for all the religions, uh, one, and they all can come together and communicate with each other and come up with a new story. <laughs> Very scary stuff, and that's why I was I wrote my column this week. Uh, you know, I I was hoping when I when I read this report um, that my column is based on. Uh, when I read this report, I was just shocked. Uh, to see that uh, their overt, uh, like I said, organized effort, the report spreading the gospel of climate change, an evangelical battleground. And I, my hope in writing that is that it will be very widely spread and that it will wake up the evangelical community uh, to, to this, uh, as you call it, the pagan influence. We're basically out of time. Dr. Peter Jones from Executive Director of Truth Exchange. Uh, can you give us your website? Yeah, truthexchange.com. And what truth will people find there? Truth, truth with an X, um, truthxchange.com, and you'll find everything that I've written, and uh, I think people will enjoy it. Well, great. I appreciate you taking your time to join us today, and hopefully uh, this broadcast will help uh, to uh, 
you know, wake up the church to what's Let going on. Let me say this, though, Marita. Let me say yes. that the, the key website is uh, Cal Bison's website, Cornwall Alliance. They have absolutely everything on this subject and aware of where the evangelical church is being led, and I endorse everything that they do. Well, great. I appreciate that. And that's cornwallalliance.org, correct? That's right. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us, uh, Dr. Jones and all of our listeners. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Be sure to tune in next week on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.